Oh gosh, when I was a little girl, I wanted to be a princess, but then I realised <laughs> I was obviously not part of the royal family. Um, Did that come as a shock? That came as quite a shock. I drew a lot of pictures. We're talking property here today and um, Mark Polisco is uh, live in the studio with us in downtown Paran. It's been a bit noisy here during our um, interviews, so uh, obviously there's a lot happening in um, the development space where we are, So, uh, which is good because we're talking property and today we've got a very special guest, Nancy. Now, Hello. Nancy is uh, into infrastructure and uh, that's the area that she works in and we were just talking about, uh, I said, oh, let's make infrastructure sexy. Mark said it already is, but, uh, you know, <laughs> sometimes it can be a little dry. So, Nancy, welcome. Thank, Thank you for you. talking property with us. Thank you. It's good to be here and it's good that, you know, we're putting the focus on infrastructure. I'm sure like when I was in uni, I definitely didn't think about um, working in infrastructure, had no idea what infrastructure was all about. And it was only when I got that exposure to that asset class, I was like, wow, I can actually see how this is developing in Melbourne, how this is forming and how this impacts on on every Melbourneian's life. So it feels like I'm actually making an impact by working in infrastructure. Well done. So let's go back though, because, um, you know, you said that, um, you know, you didn't plan on being in infrastructure. When you were a little girl, what did you plan on doing? Oh gosh, when I was a little girl, I wanted to be a princess, but then I realised <laughs> I was obviously not part of the royal family. Um, did that come as a shock? That came as quite a shock. I drew a lot of pictures of myself in, in gowns. Um, <laughs> but then I realised in high school, I, I was quite gifted with numbers. I was really good at accounting and I took on in for my VC subjects. I did accounting as a subject and I, I enjoyed it so much. So I applied to PwC back in year 12 as a trainee accountant. And I thought that accounting was something that I would absolutely love coming out from high school. Um, so mm -hmm. I ended up getting the PwC traineeship um, to be in audit. So I did that oh, wow. for, um, I was working probably two years full time and studying part time, um, being in audit division and then studying at Melbourne Uni doing accounting and finance. So that was my journey into accounting. But after a while there, I just realised audit was not for me. <laughs> Sitting in a little in a little cubicle, um, in a little meeting room at a company, auditing their financial statements, calling up banks and confirming account balances just wasn't for me at all. So I decided to step back and take a break break from accounting. Was it hard though? Because when I see auditors come in <laughs> to a company <laughs> and they're in for about, you know, six weeks or yeah. whatever or how long it is and you're sort of looking at them, no one sort of talks to you or anything like that. It'd be pretty hard just yeah. uh, coming in every day being all the foreigners. Yeah. And I was 19 at that time as well. And I remember I had to do a client walkthrough. They had to go through and um, we had to ask some questions about the controls and in the middle of a walkthrough, a client just stopped me and goes, wait a minute, how old are you? I'm like, I'm 19. And then she just looks at her team. They start laughing, going, she's a baby. And that kind <laughs> of just destroyed my confidence for the day. And I was just too scared to ask any questions. Um, yeah, just thinking that they just thought I was some kind of idiot in here with not much knowledge and asking them a whole bunch of questions. You've got the power, though, to deny their order. You can just go 
yeah, say, yeah, exactly. but you're, you're Figurestone figure. You shouldn't have joked with me. Exactly. I could be like, your financial statements are not valid. Yeah. Investors, pull out. Yeah, 19, huh? Yeah. So that. sometimes the builder's got the worst house in the street because they don't finish. How's your um, bank statements look like? Do you keep up, you know, <laughs> with your, your sort of uh, spending habits and oh. things like that? Um, look, um, my Uber's definitely not. Um, I hate driving, so my Uber my Uber activity on my bank statement is the highest, but I'm mm. all over shares and investing. Um, mm, yeah. So I recently get, got started um, investing into shares and um, I just love it. I just love catching up on the news about it and looking at investment strategies. Yeah. And one of the REITs does in infrastructure investment, isn't it? I thought, or maybe I'm wrong. I thought there was one company that does um, that invests in infrastructure. I think it might, might be Lendlease or something. Or yeah, other, there's quite a few unlisted and listed infrastructure groups. You have Spark Infrastructure, mm-hmm. and I used to work for a infrastructure fund manager, Hastings Funds Management. So they were around for 20 years or so, and there were bit of internal politics and politics with investors and unfortunately they closed down oh, after gosh. after 20 years. I think it was um I think it was started by it was founded by a Carlton football player, Mike Fitzgerald. I don't know if you know your footy knowledge. Not really. I'll go and, I'll go and Google it afterwards. But yeah. yeah so you couldn't be a princess. Yeah. So then you went to be an auditor mm-hmm. and <laughs> then you left there to yeah, so then I went back to uni full-time to finish my, off my degree and I was just browsing the Melbourne Uni intranet homepage and saw there was an opportunity to intern at Hastings Funds Management and it was specialised in infrastructure investments. And that time I was like, I have no idea really what infrastructure is about and I had to Google what <laughs> is infrastructure and it came up with airports and trains. I'm like, okay, this is, this is interesting. This is something that's quite tangible. And for me, seeing something that's quite tangible just motivates me. Like I understand because I can see it in front of me, understand how it works. Um, So I applied for Hastings and got the internship um, and just absolutely loved it. So I think after six months being an intern, I then stayed on to finish my degree and working full time at the same time. And that was just such a good experience. being having full exposure into the infrastructure asset class. Now, for those of us that don't work in that, Mm -hmm. um, explain what the infrastructure asset class is. Sure. So infrastructure, it's anything, it's the foundation of pulling society together and transporting people from location A to location B, connecting everyone to vital utilities. So your infrastructure... Uh, asset class can include airports, heavy rail, light rail, you've got electricity networks, you've got water, desalination plants, um, even these days registry systems, um, real estate registry systems are classified as an infrastructure asset. Um, I think recently um, Sydney and was it maybe Western Australia, they sold off, they privatised their registry systems and is considered as an infrastructure asset class because stable cash flows and it's underpinned by um, by population growth. You know, there's always going to be people transacting uh, real estate, whether yeah. it's in economic downturn or even when the economic economy is doing well. Um, yeah, so that is infrastructure in a nutshell. Wow, so your role in it? 
Yeah, so I was in the portfolio management team at that time. So we had two funds um, and I did the quarterly reporting, monitoring, investor relations, um, as well as asset performance monitoring. And that was the first step into infrastructure that gave me really good insight. And even though the team was quite male dominated, I had an amazing, amazing boss whom I'm actually quite, still quite close to. Um, and I felt like he, any, any opportunity um, for me to go into a meeting, even though I was just an intern, he would still bring me along and give me that exposure. So you found that um, even though that you were in the minority, as far as there was mainly men around, you you still could lead and you know grow within. Yeah, definitely, and he definitely built that confidence um, in me as well. Like at, fir- at first, I was quite intimidating. Um, I was quite intimidated by. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't intimidating. <laughs> I was quite intimidated by everyone else. You know, I'm Asian, female young you know they probably just won't listen to me but he was really always really encouraging with um if I had any views and thoughts he was very encouraging and asked me to share them even with investors um and that was just that was just really he was just a really lovely boss I can see why by the way just from our chat from before like yeah. you're on the ball and you know your stuff so yeah, yeah no, no that's good that's very good so what was the next step Oh, so after Hastings, oh yeah, so then Hastings closed down. So I was there for two years and I decided to move to uh, Sydney. So I joined, I thought I wanted something to do something different. And at that time there was just so many infrastructure projects going on in Sydney. Like Sydney is just one of the states with the largest infrastructure pipeline. So I thought it'd be a good opportunity to join that team over there. And they also had established, um, they also had brought in a new partner in the PwC team um, that was focusing on social infrastructure. So social infrastructure, your schools, prison, hospitals. And I thought that was really interesting. So I wanted to, I just wanted to gain more experience in that. So I thought it would just be perfect if I moved up there um, and just start up my life in Sydney. And I have to say, um, Melbourne is a lot better than Sydney. Melbourne has a lot more culture. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, when you arrived in Sydney, how did you make friends or sort of, you know, break into the sort of community? Yeah, it was quite difficult actually because... People in Sydney are quite clicky, I have to say. And even when you're just out and about and you start talking to a group of people, they're just not very inviting. So I had a few friends already up in Sydney, so they then introduced me to some of their friends. And at PwC, I did establish a really close group of friends because we were working such late hours. We were working till probably like 4am, 3am, 4am for two months straight and that definitely brought the team together. So, you know, that is incredible. Why did you have to work so long? It was just such tight deadlines and we just had so many things to get through um, and we just had to put put in the hours and didn't have, wasn't really, I was very sleep deprived and on the weekend I just had to catch on catch up on as much sleep as I could. Is that because there was tender projects or what? Yeah, so it was a tender project on a light rail. Um, so that was, a, it was a very tight deadline and there's a lot of media, media around us was quite confidential. So we had to be in a little room with all our windows. We had to put paper all over the windows. So and he's you who didn't want to do auditing because yeah, you're in a little room. Yeah, and then I was stuck in a little, stuck in a little room again. But um, the thing, even though we were working such late hours, it was such good steep learning curve. Um, I probably, like, it was probably like one year, two years worth of experience crammed into these six months. Um, I have to say, it did get 
did get burnt out, but learnt a lot though. And then how long did you stay in Sydney for? So I stayed in Sydney for a total of one year and came running back to Melbourne. So I stayed at PwC for six months and at the end I just got really burnt out and I wanted to have more work-life balance. And I saw an opportunity come out, come out at uh, Mira Macquarie Infrastructure and Real Assets. Uh, it wasn't infrastructure, it was agriculture investment. So I thought, okay, this is, this is interesting because agriculture could definitely be uh, infrastructure asset class, like the infrastructure asset class in the next 10 years, given that population is growing so fast and there needs to be a sustainable agriculture practices in place. So there'll be a lot of investments pouring into that space. So I was actually at Macquarie for six months, um, just testing out, seeing if I liked it or not, and whether agriculture sparked an interest in me. And it just, it just wasn't, it just wasn't there. Um, and I, and I just knew from that time when I was at Macquarie that I wanted to come back into infrastructure, and I knew I wanted to come back to Melbourne to be with my friends and family. Yeah, I, I, them I don't so know much. why I'm looking at you, Nancy, yeah. and listening to you, and I, I really don't see agriculture and you sort of fitting together. Yeah, look, I think me at a farm is like, what is that mm. show? Um, Paris Hilton and um, yeah. The Simple Life. Yeah, yeah. yeah how that was my. That was yeah. where I was going too. And yeah. <laughs> that the crown of the princess and out on the farm, I just didn't see that happening. Yeah, I remember going out to Aubrey for a work trip um, to do some financial modelling to speak with the operating companies on what uh, their agriculture practices were and what their operations were like. And gosh, Aubrey, so many flies in 40 degree weather, just not for <laughs> me at all. Yes, um, I, I don't think that there'd be uh, too many um, fashion shops and <laughs> yeah, things like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely have to swap out the heels for um, for some boots. Yes, <laughs> so that wasn't for you. So you're back in. Where are we at at the moment? So it's, you've done so much. I mean, how old are you? I'm 24. I just turned 24. Wow, wow. <laughs> a lifetime. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I spent a year in Sydney and then I came running back to Melbourne and when I got back to Melbourne I was quite worried. Um, I didn't have a job lined up and I had, you know, I had two years uh, two years at PwC Audit, I had two years at Hastings and then I had six months at PwC Infradills and six months at Macquarie and my first initial thought was, oh gosh, people I think I, I can't stick, yeah. stick through with, uh, with whatever I'm doing. So I was really, really worried about that aspect. Um, and then I spoke to a few recruiters and they reassured me that as long as, you know, I answer truthfully and say, look, it just wasn't for me. I did, I did try to test around um, some different jobs some different companies. Um, for me, PwC Macquarie, it just wasn't the right work culture for me. Um, I like my teams to be, to feel like a family. And that's interesting because at that stage then you did know what you wanted, which yeah. is good, you know, sometimes it's like it could be any job, exactly. but it's like, no, these are the um, parameters I need. Yeah, so I knew I wanted something, I wanted to come back into consulting because I enjoyed that at PwC, I knew I wanted infrastructure and the other thing I wanted was work-life balance because in Sydney I just did not have any work-life balance and coming home so late it just it just wasn't a good feeling and on the weekends always catching up on sleep I felt like I just couldn't do anything um, anything fun at all so I was back in Melbourne and um, there weren't actually many jobs open at all so that just got me more worried I'm like oh no I'm not using my brain my brain's just going to go stale so I started talking to recruiters 
And there was one recruiter that said to me, why don't you have a look at infrastructure advisory teams with engineering companies? I had always thought that engineering companies were purely just technical engineer. You had to have an engineering degree to get into an engineering company. Um, so I started looking online at the advisory teams, which which focuses on um, consulting, advising the state government on commercial, economic and financial um, advice on infrastructure investments. And there just wasn't, there just weren't any jobs posted online. So I thought, oh no, what am I going to do? I need to get a job. So I found, um, I found this guy on LinkedIn, uh, who's now my boss, John Clayton, and I messaged him on LinkedIn. I slid into his DMs, I introduced myself, and I said, you know, I'm, I, I've got this amount of experience, I've worked at Macquarie, PwC, Hastings, and I want to bring my financial expertise, my financial perspective into an engineering company. And I thought he just wasn't going to reply. I'm like thinking, what kind of top, top dog would reply to, to this random girl who sends a message through LinkedIn? Um, and I was really surprised because he messaged back within, within an hour and then we, we set up a meeting for the week after and the meeting went really well and told me about the projects that the team were working on, how they were expanding the team because the team is relatively new. And then after that, um, set up another meeting to meet the rest of the team. And then I got offered a job at Arup, which was very exciting. And I was just so happy that um, just being proactive and, and messaging someone on LinkedIn um, about my experience and potential opportunity led to this. That's great. And um, for those that don't know, Arup, of course, is a international company. Yes. Explain, you know, what's the elevated chat? Yeah. Arup? Oh, Arup is just an amazing, amazing company to work for. Um, an engineering company, international, headquartered in London. Um, and of course, engineering company, they do all their technical, they do their uh, water engineering, fire, geotech, um, all of the technical stuff which I have, which I just have no idea about because all I care about are the dollar signs, <laughs> the finance side of things. Um, oh, not for your, not for your personal yeah. wage, but for IC, yeah. for those projects you're working on. For the projects, on. I'm talking about the, the financial side of infrastructure projects. How do we get that balance? I mean, with governments, they're criticised, um, you know, for budget blowouts and mm. how much infrastructure is going to cost. You know, where is the balance then? Yeah, look, that is quite quite difficult. I guess when we're assessing uh, assessing infrastructure investments, um, we always need to we always need to carefully think about the risk associated. We're building contingency to factor in those blowouts. Um, and I guess with infrastructure, it's not always just about the numbers. We look at the qualitative side of things, um, how the social benefits that it brings, um, whether it be health benefits or people having access to amenities and all of those factors we also factor in. It's just not only about the dollars and we bring the financial side and the qualitative side and tie them together to bring them advice. And if you had a choice, what do you think is the best infrastructure that you could work on? You know, even if it was giving the financial, is it roads? Is it uh, the social? You know, that you've you've worked across so many. Yeah, I reckon definitely social infrastructure, especially schools. Um, I worked on a project in Sydney, which was for schools in New South Wales, which was looking at upgrading schools, their facilities, um, whether there were enough uh, enough facilities for the students that were coming in. 
And for me, I feel like education is just so important, especially for people with low socioeconomic. They don't have the same benefit that they might not be able to access good schools. And coming from a migrant family, you know, my parents came here with nothing. I couldn't speak English until I was probably like five or six years old. Um, So I just feel like, yeah, education is just a huge piece and everyone should have the same opportunity to access it in order to secure a good future for themselves. We were doing some interviews in the lead up to International Women's Day Mm. and a lot of the women we were talking to spoke about the role models of the influences of the women in their lives and some said, you know, their mums or whatever. Um, So therefore, who were the influences? You came out here and your mum and dad, you more or less, how did you learn English and... Oh, yeah. How did I? I'm not too sure how I even learned English. I think, I guess, but they just threw me into school and then started interacting. And I remember kids were making fun of me because I was eating seaweed at school and they used to call me out saying I was eating black paper. Um, But I don't know. I just, I guess I just interacted with a lot of people, made new friends and just slowly started... uh, getting better at English. And Mark, I mean, you know, 24, Nancy's got such a drive. So, <laughs> you know, yes, did were your parents, what, what did they do? They were always so supportive. So I'm especially grateful for my parents. Um, my dad, as I said, came here with nothing and he just worked really hard at a restaurant as a waiter for many years to put me through to put me through private school education to make sure that I could have to make sure that I were able to um, get good results and you know be able to do what I wanted to do. So I'm extremely, extremely grateful for my parents and have, have so much love and respect for them. And they'd be very proud of you now. Yes, yes. My mom, my mom is really <laughs> excited to listen to this podcast. <laughs> she was saying to me, you know, once once they release it, I've got to sh- I've got to show all my friends. I've got to show everyone I know. Now, you talked about work-life balance. Mm-hmm. So um, someone did tell me that, um, you know, you may be aiming perhaps for the Olympics with the sport that you oh, just yes. took up last night. Yeah, so curling. Um, what is curling? Okay, I'm not very good at the terminology, but it's one of those very boring Winter Olympics sports with a stone in the – you have to throw a stone and then you can't throw the stone too hard – and then you've got to you've got these sweepers. They actually have a broom, um, and they have to run along uh, behind or in front of the stone and sweep to make the stone go to a certain area on the ice. Um, ice. So on the ice. Uh, yeah. Where, where is it around? What Melbourne? In Melbourne, in Docklands, they have an ice rink there. First time curling, very bizarre experience. I thought it was going to be a lot easier, but it's actually quite difficult to get the ice to slide slowly and into a certain area on the sheet. I think they call it the sheet. That's the correct terminology. So you have a team or how does it work? Yeah, so we've got, there's four of us um, and we've got practice, I think, for the next five weeks or so. And hopefully we come out on top and we head to the Winter Olympics. So I feel like I'm not very athletic to do any other sport. I am quite good at clay shooting, surprisingly. <laughs> um, I think it's all those, all, those pre, all those years in high school playing video games. I was a bit of a video games nerd earlier on. Um, so, you know, either I, I can Which were your favourite games in the video games? Oh, gosh. They were quite violent. So it was just a lot of... <laughs> I can't answer that for the violent things like yeah. Street Fighter. Yeah, Street Fighter. I was quite good at that. I always got my money's worth at the arcade, like two dollars, and I would I would put two dollars into the Street Fighter machine and 
be sitting there for 15, 20 minutes. Um, yeah, so I've got my winter sport all set, curling and summer sport clay shooting, I guess. Wow, you've got it sorted. So, and the Olympics definitely on the agenda. Oh, I need to, I need to tick that off the bucket list. And um, do you have a uniform or anything like that when you go curling? Look, I would love to have a matching hoodie and matching tracksuit pants. Our team name is Sweeping Beauties. Ooh. Um, so we'd love to have that stitched on the back of the hoodie with our initials at the front. Who knows? Someone might be listening right now. Yeah, we'll I know. So um, Nike, please sponsor us. I would absolutely love that. <laughs> Look, I think, Nancy, anything you turn you know, your attention to, obviously, at 24 and all of that, you know, it's a success. So maybe curling and um, we'll be watching you at uh, – which, which Olympics are you aiming for? Look, I think it's Beijing Olympics. So hopefully corona just dies down a little bit <laughs> <laughs> and that goes ahead. Well, that's another thing that um, you bring that up. And in infrastructure, so many – in so many other things like property markers, we know there can be so many – you know, things that you don't expect, such as the coronavirus that's at the moment that we hear is stopping a lot of um, supplies and infrastructure projects. What's the latest on that? Have you heard? Yeah, um, even just with travel restrictions right now, right now it's definitely a huge impact to the Australian economy. Recently, the bushfires and now coronavirus, tourism from China not coming here. Um, And also just to the share market as well. The stocks have been just plunging. There's just fears over, yeah, manufacturers not manufacturing anymore, people not going out and buying from retail stores. So it's a scary situation because it's just so out of out of our control. Um, I think this, they were saying there's still months and months and months away from vaccines. So just no one can no one can predict what how it's gonna end. But when you're doing the dollars for an infrastructure project, this is probably one of the curveballs that happens. Yeah, I guess that I guess a curveball in that would be maybe could be operational delay. So if we if there was an infrastructure project coming up and just say people were getting sick or there were travel restrictions and um, delays that would be all factored in. Do you think that Melburnians will be able to build a hospital in two days like they did in, in, in um, over oh, there? Oh gosh, yeah. I, don't, I wonder what the quality of the hospital yeah, would same. be like in, in two days. Or was it, was maybe was it a week? It was, it was actually it was a bit longer than that. Yeah, yeah it was, an insane amount. And I'm not sure what kind of – like how they source the materials so quickly. Yeah, I'd love to check it out just to see what could be produced in a week and if it is yeah. going to be – uh, taken down once it's finished. Yeah. yeah. So you did mention that you've had some great role models and mentors through your career thus far, and that you know I suppose more men are in the meeting rooms and things like that. Have you ever found that that's an issue or a problem? Not really. Um, I think with the teams that I've worked with, they've always they've always really seen me and value my opinion. I think I have I think the only one time when I was a bit ignored were these Japanese investors um, came in for a meeting and I honestly thought that I think they thought that I was an admin assistant. Um, so they were getting me to bring water and bring some tea and drinks for them. Anything that is assumed. Yeah, that. I think they just assume <laughs> that. Yeah, but other than that, I haven't had any bad experiences. Um, like my team at Arab is just is just absolutely amazing. Such a supportive team, and we just feel like one big happy family. And even like for example, the intern my team, Miles, lovely, lovely guy, and. 
whether he has, if he has thoughts in a meeting, thoughts on a project, on how we should implement something, like his views are always taken into account and we don't make any interns or grad feel shy and intimidate them. We're just, yeah, we just take into account everyone's views and we listen to each other. Listening and what's important to you in a job, uh, like you speak about Arab really highly, what does it offer and that is you know what you want in the job? Yeah, for me it's definitely that tangible outcome, working on projects where I feel like I'm making an impact and the projects that I've done at Arab has just been just I know that I'm able to contribute to society. Um, like some of the projects I've been working on, there was one I did on regional economic development for like a regional area in Western Australia, looking at how the projects would impact the local economy there, how many jobs it would create. And that was just really interesting analysis to do because it's just, it's something that's in your own backyard and it's tangible. You can see the growth happening there. And right now I'm doing a project on ferries um, so that's also very interesting as well, knowing that it's able to connect up the city a lot more. Yeah. And it's just very rewarding and motivating to work on projects like that. So you've got the work-life balance under control? Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely under control. Um, I remember my first day at Arup, or my first week, I was working on a project and I was in the office probably till 6.30 and I thought 6.30, oh, this is, uh, you know, this is, this is, this feels early. There was, a, there was someone sitting next to me in a different team going, why are you here? Go home. And yeah. honestly, at Arab, when you, you look at 6.30, 7pm, majority of the office is just gone. Um, and Arab really does value work-life balance. That means they're doing something right. They? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I sometimes work from home once a week as well. So it's nice oh. to have that flexibility. So, yeah, and you, they uh, get good people because of that trust that two-way street yeah definitely. and you know sort of leave they understand you emotionally too mm, yeah for sure um for example um my wife and I we broke up uh, oh. two weeks ago um it's okay I'm I'm not too sad I've accepted the situation but work was just really understanding about that and they said to me take as much time off as you want. We don't want you distracted. And it's just nice having that human emotion because I feel like any other place, they just wouldn't care whatsoever. They'd be like, chop, chop, get back to work. Don't cry anymore. And I got to work and that day, the day after the breakup, I did cry at work for a little bit. And and, um, one of the seniors, Cameron Fairley, lovely guy, very understanding, gave me a little pep talk, shared his own personal experience with me and I just felt a lot better at work with the whole team, talking through my emotions and just going through the day slowly and they said to me, it's all right if you don't get as much work done today, we're here for you. That's great. Oh, that's great. You know what? We're going to have to get you to do a feasibility on the valuation <laughs> of um, getting rid of the tin roof. Yeah, <laughs> look, here when tin roof, uh, yeah. the thunderstorms come. <laughs> oh, tin roof sounds nice though, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Now, um, because this sort of is our property show as well, have any investments in property as yet? Sorry, well, <laughs> any, <laughs> any investments in property as yet? Mark no. might be able to give you a bit of advice. We've got to talk over the, yeah. the raid. Um, no, not yet. I haven't really thought about investing in property. It is quite expensive to get into. So Not as expensive as Sydney? No. Yeah, not, oh, gosh. Uh, talking about Sydney, when I was there, I was renting a small studio apartment. $500 a week, oh, 3Ks from three Ks from the city. Jeez, that's, that's absolutely crazy. Yeah. Man. So yeah. what's next for Nancy in her career? Oh, good question. Um, I would love to, I think 
just to get exposure on a range of more projects and as well as have opportunities to go on short-term assignments overseas as well. Mm. Um, yeah. I just want to, yeah, I just want to see how other countries handle their infrastructure projects and what the work culture like is over there. So do you actually read about infrastructure like you know, keep up to date with that? Is that something you go, if you're reading the paper or the cafe, is that sort of a project you go to? Yeah, like for me, I, it's just every morning when I get into the office, open up AFR, keep up with the business news. And also what's great about Arab is we've got a, we've got a library team. So there's a, there's a bunch of librarians each morning. They send out um, an email to all Arab staff talking about news relating to uh, infrastructure like the water sector, energy sector and transport sector. So that keeps us all up to date, which is really good. You ever find yourself just going on Google mapping cities overseas, going how do they do their infrastructure <laughs> and how does they cope with similar population? Yeah, I, I find myself doing that sometimes. It's like, um, yeah. Yeah. Maps, learning from what others are doing. Yeah, yeah, it's def yeah, like especially I recently got back from Japan and looking at their train network and yeah. the frequency of their trains and how large the stations are, it just puts Melbourne's transport system to shame. Yeah, isn't it supposed to be supposed to be brilliant up in Japan? Yeah, it? it's yeah, it's very it's very efficient and the lines is lines are just so easy to get around. Um, it's just so connected. I feel like you don't even need to take the bus anywhere. You just pop on the train um, and connections are really easy. Is it wow. right though that once we finish one infrastructure project here we've sort of you know outgrown it because of the time and you know all the delays and things like that or should we be more positive? I think we should be more positive especially I know there's a lot of people complaining about the current um, delays in in the train network given that they're doing soon they're going to be do, doing suburban route la rail suburban rail loop oh gosh I get rail loop uh, um, and also just the new stations in the city now they're opening up so much capacity it's just pain in the short term and gain in the long term so we just got to hang in there and you know in the new future we won't be complaining as much given how efficient how the trains will be a lot more efficient there'll be a lot more frequent and it'll just be easy to get around as well especially to like Parkville yeah. and Doncaster where it's just dominated by buses right now. Yeah it's always a vicious circle the infrastructure because I, I, I develop a lot of roads and stuff will be mm. built because there's not enough between traffic but then they'll go and build these roads and the developers will go and propose more apartments because this new roads there so it's this constant uh, constant keeping everything busy but I remember when they built one of the freeways in Melbourne one of the tunnels that they were complaining that it wasn't enough lanes they mm. said oh you didn't allow for enough lanes and that that yeah, by the time it opened, they said that it was already too uh, it was too busy. But um, yeah, I, but it hasn't. It, but Mark, I'm feeling really confident with people like Nancy now looking <laughs> after it, the passion that it is with the infrastructure. Yeah, as now, long as you let me drive in 20 years, I don't want to be told to get public transport. So keep on building those roads and freeways, <laughs> and I'll use them. Oh gosh, too much air pollution. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> now. Um, Will you come back and give us an update on your projects in um, a number of months, but also more importantly, how the curling team's going? Oh, definitely. I will definitely update on, you know, the, the interesting projects I'm working on and hopefully next time update um, you all on my sponsors for the curling team. Exactly. Yeah. Sponsors. Yes, yeah. we'll do the shout out, but also yeah. even, um, you know, bring someone in, one of your work colleagues yeah. and have a discussion. Yeah, definitely. That sounds great. Thanks, Nancy. Thank you.